Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the word of God for all of us. Thanks be to God. I ask you to pray with me. May the words that I say and the reflections that go through all of our minds, may they give you pleasure, God, you who are our rock, you who save us. Amen. My best friend Kimberly from college uh, married a man who is quite tall. Colin is, is 6'11 and a half. He played on our basketball team in college. And uh, Kimberly and Colin were married a few years. Colin worked in telecommunications, and they were transferred to London. When they moved to London, they thought, wow, we've got this great opportunity to travel. And so they traveled all around the United Kingdom and up into other parts of Europe. They just had a great experience. But one of their early trips was up to Edinburgh. They were particularly excited about being in Scotland. Colin loves live music, so they studied where were different pubs that might have especially good live music. They got in early, they got seats, were all excited about hearing this band in this Scottish pub. So at one point, Kimberly and Colin had been seated on these kind of bar stools in a just packed out pub. Colin had gotten up to use the restroom. A little bit later, Kimberly is very carefully protecting the bar stool for her husband. A man came up to her and kind of looked at her and said, be glad. And she thought, be glad? And she says, yes, I am glad. Oh, it's wonderful to be in Scotland. And she's kind of confused, but she, okay, I'm glad. And then the man looked at her again and said, be glad. And she again said, yes, I'm very glad. It's wonderful to be here. She's just kind of trying to figure this all out. And after a while, the guy isn't going away. She's protecting her husband's bar stool. And Colin, all 6'11 and a half of him, comes out. And the man turns, points to her husband and says, be glad. And she realized he'd been saying, big lad. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so this has become this kind of running joke in our friendship and from time to time just out of the blue we'll be together and one of us will say be glad and we all crack up but it, it makes me think about those times that someone tells us how we're supposed to feel this is how you're supposed to feel you should be happy you should be glad you should feel this is how you should feel and in general how lousy that feels we don't want to be told how to feel. We feel what we feel when we feel it. And so there can be a little bit of a pushback for some of us when we hear the Beatitudes. There may be a reaction of, wait a minute, is, is Jesus telling us how we're supposed to feel? And given the reversals Jesus talks about, is he picking on people who are going through a hard time? That doesn't sound right. So I want to reflect with you on the Beatitudes themselves, give some of that context behind them that'll help enrich our understanding of them, and then reflect upon what it means to be poor in spirit and to mourn, and what Jesus might be telling us, what he might have said to the disciples of his time, that's also what he's saying to us now. So first, some background. The Beatitudes come to us in the Gospel of Matthew, 
and it, we refer to it as the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It was important that I read you those first verses. Now, frankly, they're easy to skip over, but they're giving us really important material. Jesus saw the crowds. He went up the mountain. He sat down to teach. Now, just in that one verse, there's a whole lot going on. In the Gospel of Matthew, particularly in these early chapters, Matthew is giving us cue after cue after cue that Jesus is just like Moses. So there are a lot of references of Jesus and Moses, and we hear about how Jesus uh, could easily have had his life taken by the leaders, and so the family had to flee, just like Moses, who was born in a time in which the midwives were, had been told to kill all of the babies of the Hebrew mothers. Both of them escaped uh, potential death by, by wicked leaders. Both of them went to Egypt. Jesus went to Egypt. The family fled for protection there. Moses was sent to Pharaoh to let the people go. And Moses went up the mountain and received teachings, which he then delivered to the people. Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Jesus now goes up the mountain to offer the teaching, in this case, the sermon, what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, what was the Beatitudes at the beginning, the blessings. So in all those parallels with Moses, Matthew is telling us not only that uh, Jesus is like Moses, but specifically that Jesus has come to save, that Jesus has come for freedom, for liberation. What Jesus is going to offer here is really good news that is going to free the people, just as Moses freed the slaves in Egypt. So that's kind of the background before all, we, all that we hear in this. The other piece, just a little piece I would pull out, is Jesus sitting down to teach. In Jesus' day, rabbis, they would read scripture, then they would sit down to teach. And you see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus reading, sitting down to teach. In North American Christian culture, the pastor reads the scripture, stands up to preach. So when he sits down, that means this is serious. The rabbi is teaching. Polar opposite of North American Christian culture, preachers standing. This is serious. So that's kind of our background on this. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Both of these are examples of times in our lives where we feel an emptiness or a vulnerability. Blessed is the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Well, frankly, it can mean a lot of different things. Poor in spirit can be a time when you just don't feel God's presence. Poor in spirit can be a time where the circumstances of your life are quite difficult and you feel beaten down by life and you feel poor in spirit. Poor in spirit can mean a time of spiritual confusion or emptiness where you sense God but you don't really know what you believe. That can be poor in spirit also. It's a time where you don't feel strong in the spirit. You feel poor in the spirit. Isn't it striking that Jesus' first major teaching in the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus lifting up all those who are down low, who are downtrodden, who are suffering, who feel weak and vulnerable. Jesus is showing us that his kingdom is a topsy-turvy kingdom where 
God is shaking everything up and surprising us with a new way of working and lifting up those who are going through hard times in a variety of ways. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or blessed are those who mourn. Now often mourning is missing uh, a particular person. Often with the term mourning or grieving, we think about someone mourning someone who has died. And that's absolutely right. We grieve the loss of someone who has died. We want them present with us now. We miss them. We want to be able to talk to them, and we can't. All of those are mourning. But there are other kinds of mourning as well. There is mourning when the person is perfectly alive, but maybe has moved far away, and we miss that local connection with them. Or there is mourning where there's been a break in a relationship, and they may be next door, but we're not close to them. And we may mourn the loss of what that relationship used to be. Some of us mourn changes in our health. We remember how vigorous and strong we used to feel. And as we age, we don't have the bodies we used to have. And we can mourn that. Or we can mourn the good old days. And the good old days can be all sorts of different things. It can be when we used to live in that other place. It can be when I used to have that job. It can be, boy, that period of time I was the top of the mountain. I, I miss that. I mourn. Wish things were like that again. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, when Jesus refers to those people being blessed, is he being insensitive? Is he shaking his finger at them and saying, this is how you need to feel? I remember as a kid in Southern California, I believe it was then a book came out about the Beatitudes, and it was called the Be Happy Attitudes. And they were about how we should feel happy in all these circumstances. And I remember even then, kind of put my teeth on edge. Like, really, you're going to people in all these situations and you're saying, be happy. It feels insensitive. It feels like, like you're ignoring the suffering, the real suffering someone's going through. Be happy. If you just change your attitude, everything's great. It's just a little too chirpy and perky for me somehow. It's just, that's how we should be. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Instead, Jesus is speaking about blessings that refer to a deeper truth, the kind of paradox in which we are held in the Christian life, which is sometimes, spiritually, the worst times turn out over time to be the best times. What do you do with that? The fact that sometimes those times that are really filled with struggle and suffering are times that we really are open to God, are aware of God. Somehow in those times, maybe our defenses come down or we find ourselves speaking openly with God about our need. I need this now, God, in a way we might not have done when we were feeling spiritually full, when we were not mourning. In our new member class, Pastor Scott and Pastor Dee and I will have a time in which people have an opportunity to draw their spiritual lives. And some people do a chart like the Dow Jones. and Some people do symbols of different times. It's always fun to see what people write. But one of the things that's striking is how often when people are you know, imaging their spiritual lives, there are times that are really hard and yet they'll point to that and say, that was a time of a lot of spiritual growth. Boy, this time, that was really hard. And yet, that's when I really changed. That's when I got closer to God. 
Something happens in our experiences of emptiness. Emptiness, not feeling so full of the Spirit. Emptiness, missing someone or a situation that we're mourning. Where in that emptiness, we open up a space for God. When have you been poor in spirit? When have you experienced Jesus delivering you from a time of great poverty of spirit? Now, one of the challenges to that is there is a deliverance, there is comfort, there is the kingdom of heaven, but it may not come in exactly the form we're requesting. How often does God answer our prayers, but not exactly as we were asking? And yet we look at it and we see an answer, and we praise God for what we were given. I think back in my own life, in my seminary years, I have shared before that when I went to seminary, I thought I was going to get a PhD and teach. I didn't go to seminary thinking I would be a pastor. I went to do a Master's of Divinity, then I was going to get a doctorate, I was going to go be a professor, and then I got surprised. Surprised by the joy of pastoral ministry, surprised by a calling that uh, I'd been seeking to discern, but became very clear for me, and surprised by joy. And now I look back at 20 and a half years of ordained ministry, and I just kind of laugh at how that happened. But in seminary, initially, I was thinking I would be a professor. As that call became clearer, I went through a different kind of difficult time. When I lived in Jerusalem and in my missionary time, I'd had my heart broken badly uh, by someone I loved very deeply. And that didn't work out. It took a while for me to heal. And kind of right about the time that I was looking around to do some dating was about the time my call was solidifying. This may be a shocker to you, but there are not a whole lot of men out there that want to be pastor's husbands. Just letting you know. Not a lot, not a lot. You know, I'd be dating a guy, it would seem like it was going okay, and then they're like, what are you going to do? Be a pastor, ooh, you know, I think I'm busy Saturday. <laughs> you know, it just, it's just, it's not super helpful for one's dating life. And so at one point during my third year of seminary, when yet again something had not worked out, I really hit a low point and hit a sense of, God, I will do this ordination, but I, I can't do this alone. Being a pastor is wonderful, but it is really hard, really hard. And you need support. You need spiritual support, but you also need human beings for support. And so I remember very vividly in my third year of seminary in the spring, getting on my knees and, and praying and crying and saying, God, I will do this. I will be a pastor, but you have got to send me someone. I can't do this alone. I know myself. You have got to help me. And kind of cried myself out, got up off my knees, felt a little bit silly. But in time, God did indeed answer my prayer through a very, very good friend. A person who had moved up to northern Illinois, didn't have many friends himself. We became very close friends. Uh, he helped, you know, teach me about ministry. He'd been a pastor longer and... We were really there for each other and have now been friends for over 20 years. I look back on my life and there is no question in my mind but that James Preston was my answer to prayer. And that friend who got me through those early years of ministry is the person who came here to preach my father's sermon because he knew my parents, because he was there for me in all these different times. 
Now, I will be clear with you that what I was praying for was a husband. <laughs> Just, <laughs> and James is not that, but he is a wonderful, wonderful friend. And God met my need. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. God has given me the kingdom of heaven through that friendship over and over and over again. God absolutely met my need. When we hear the Beatitudes, we hear Jesus making a profound assertion about how God works in the world. He is not telling us that we'll never have hard times. No, he's saying here are all sorts of categories that we can go through or attitudes of mind in which the world may want to step on us or may ignore us or may belittle us. Jesus isn't saying that faith in him makes us exempt from any of that. But he is saying that in those times of vulnerability or of loss or of feeling helpless or alone, I will be with you and there will be comfort and there will be change. And we see that for people who are comforting, how amazingly God works in the people of other mourners who gather around the person grieving and tell their own stories of loss and suffering and healing. Or we think about times when there is someone grieving and God will bring into that person's heart a verse, something in the scripture that speaks to them as if it was written for them. And that becomes a real grace in their lives, even in the midst of mourning. Or the way that that person will discover walks in nature or other ways that comfort comes. Or the comfort may come in really good memories. I have been so struck in this season of grieving for my dad, how at least at this phase of it, what I'm feeling is gratitude. I had a really good dad. I had a really good, wonderful, loving, safe dad. And that changed my life. That made my life in such profound ways. One of my favorite quotes I've shared here before is from a Lebanese Christian, Khalil Gibran, who said, when you are sorrowful, Look into your heart. You will see you are weeping for that which has been your delight. I grieve the loss of my father, but I praise God for my dad. I had a delight of a dad. I really won the dad lottery. <laughs> and so in the midst of that mourning, there's also the praise, the gratitude for what was, and the sweetness of that memory in its own way, can be a comfort for that grief. Now, I know that sometimes what we mourn is what we didn't have. So I want to be sensitive that sometimes what we're mourning is the father who was not very good to us or the person who really hurt us or the person who let us down. Some mourning is very complicated by the difficulty within that relationship. In those situations, it's a different tenor to that grief. But even then, it is an opportunity to let that need. God, I still have that need. It was not met in that relationship. You got to help me. I need you. Jesus is telling us that in our times of vulnerability and sorrow and suffering, Jesus is present for us. And he promises that there will be comfort for those who mourn. He promises that when you are poor in spirit, you are right there next to the kingdom of heaven. May we feel what we feel when we feel it. May we trust that we can offer all of that to God 
and that we can experience that promise Jesus offers us of liberation and hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.